My hometown of St. Louis is an awesome baseball town. For those of you who know my story, you know that story. You know the impact of the St. Louis Cardinals and Jack Buck and baseball on my life. You also know it's a phenomenal hockey town. And for those who have read the book On Fire or know the impact of the St. Louis Blues, not only in this community, but also on a little boy named John O'Leary, you know that it's a hockey town as well. What you may not know is the town keeps expanding. We are now, drumroll please, a soccer town as well. That's right. We've been a soccer town for a while, but now it's official with MLS moving to St. Louis. And our friends at Keeley Companies are proud construction partners in building the new stadium, downtown St. Louis, focusing on applying their extensive building experience, their commitment to developing, and then implementing a successful workforce development with diversity inclusion. Keeley Companies CEO and my friend Rusty Keeley said this, We are honored to be part of the project of creating a positive legacy in St. Louis. Learn more about that project and other projects going on at Keeley Companies by visiting them right now online at KeeleyCompanies.com. Welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast with John O'Leary. John is the number one national best-selling author of the book On Fire. He's a world-class inspirational speaker, and he's the host of the Live Inspired Podcast. John interviews extraordinary individuals on their life story so that you can wake up from accidental living and more fully live your life story. Here's your host, John O'Leary. Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast with John O'Leary. I'm going to read some of the headlines that are in front of me as I get ready to bring on our guest for today's episode. These are all coming to you live from our dear friends at the Wall Street Journal who remind us that the Taliban senior leader has been met with recently by our CIA chief. They also remind us that thousands of Afghans, of allies, of Westerners are trapped at the airport in Kabul. They remind us that behind the Florida condo collapse was rampant corner cutting by the contractors and that these were known for years. They remind us about the earthquake and the devastation that is inflicted and that is being struggled with right now in Haiti. They remind us also that the numbers of Delta outbreaks are skyrocketing in Asian countries, which is disrupting production Globally, it's having an effect on markets around the world. To the right on this page, diabetes screening should begin at age 35 here in the United States and around the world because diabetes is skyrocketing. You read these headlines and many others like it. You turn to page two, you're going to see more. Turn to page three, you'll read about stuff locally. All these pages, all these headlines, all these negative stories. And as you come to the end of it, you might think to yourself, my gosh, there's nothing I can do about it. There's nothing I can do about it. There's nothing I can do about COVID. There's nothing I can do about disruption globally. There's nothing I can do about Afghanistan struggles. There's certainly nothing I can do about Haiti. There's nothing I can do what's taking place within our political system here in the United States, in my own backyard. There's probably nothing I can even do about my family or my health or my personal finances or my struggling relationship. There's nothing that I can do about life, is there? If we're not careful... When we read the headlines of life, that's what we might believe. And then in steps today's guest. And then in steps today's conversation on what you can control. 
on the influence that you can have, on the lives that you can change, on the improvement that you can be part of, on the global movement of change that begins not across the world, but in your backyard in the reflection of the mirror. My friends, with all the negative headlines, with all the struggles that we all have faced for the previous 18 months, and we might face and weather together going forward, we thought today would be an awesome time to hit pause, to turn away from the Wall Street Journal and CNN and MSNBC and Fox and everybody else you may be leaning into for your news, and instead grab a cup of coffee, a tall cup of tea, a notepad, a pen, an open heart, an open mind on what remains possible through your life. What remains possible through your life? My children and I most recently were watching about the devastation that had recently taken place yet again in Haiti. Haiti, as the, the lady being interviewed said, she said, I feel as if our people are cursed. This is a woman who recently lost their president a woman who has recently suffered through yet another hurricane, a woman who lost her house and a child in an earthquake, a woman who's weathered storm after storm, and she's been doing this now generationally. I feel like our people are cursed. And it's easy to begin to give up hope when we feel like that. That is why we need torchbearers. That is why we need examples like our guest today. His name is Tim Brand. And years ago, Tim saw the same need, the same struggle that we all see as we page through the headlines. And rather than shutting the paper, crossing his arms and saying, gosh, I wish somebody out there would do something about it, Tim raised his hand. He changed his life. He began doing things that were difficult, that were awkward, not only for him, but for his family, for his community, and in doing so. Listen to some of the impact that Tim has had in Haiti. Seven point five million meals have been served because of his yes because of his yes 1200 children have been educated in haiti because of his yes 220 leaders have been trained up in how they can take the next right step forward to own their piece of it because of his yes more than a thousand homes have been safely created more than 500 mobility carts have been transported over to Haiti to allow people who previously had no access to transportation to be able to move freely. These are just a few of the stories of impact that Tim has been part of through his organization. It's a great organization. It is called Many Hands. Many Hands. You're going to learn about those lives impacted. You're going to learn about that influence. You're going to learn about the need. But more than that, my friends, today, you're going to learn about your ability through your life to elevate the life to inspire the lives, to transform the lives of those around you together. It requires many hands, but it is possible. In a marketplace that reminds us that we can't, in a marketplace that reminds us it's all bad, in a marketplace reminds us that it's never been worse than it is today, more at 10 o'clock tonight, Tim Brand is going to remind you that there are many hands showing up doing many good things together and that you are invited into this party. My friends, I just encourage you today before I introduce you to my friend Tim to open wide not only your journals, but your hearts, your generosity. You may hear near the end that I talk about the ability we will have together to influence change. Uh, our organization is going to step up. My family and I are going to step up. And I encourage you today to consider doing likewise. So pay attention, lean in and get ready to elevate life together as I introduce you to my friend, executive director and founder of Many Hands for Haiti. His name 
is Tim Brand. Tim, welcome to Live Inspired with John O'Leary. Oh, thank you. It's a, it's a pleasure to be on here today. I love the word live inspired. That's kind of a little bit of a theme motto for my life. So it's fantastic. We may, we may even talk later on in our conversation around Inspiration Day and where that came from and what it meant and what it means today. But, but before we talk about that, why, why don't you introduce yourself? What, what, what work do you do and why does it matter? I am the father of Abby and AJ, my 13 and 11-year-old, the husband of, of Catherine, Katie Brand, school teacher, the real heroes of the world right now that are going back to school and leading these kids. I'm from Pella, Iowa, born and raised Iowan. I've appreciated it more as I've gotten older. When you grow up to a certain place, uh, you know, you think the only thing you want to do is get out of there. And now after being in uh, 46 different states and 22 different countries, uh, I appreciate Iowa more and more all the time. But I am the founder, uh, CEO of Many Hands for Haiti. We do work in Haiti and in the U.S. Our mission is to transform together to be love and action. Transform means there's a change that occurs. We are different because of our encounter with one another. Together means we're all called to transform. Our people in Haiti are called to transform. Our Americans, us Westerners, are called to transform love is to bear with one another, to carry the burdens of somebody else uh, in action, we've got to be moving forward, got to be something with intention moving forward. And in our broken world, there is brokenness all around us. Uh, you don't have to look very far to find brokenness. And so helping people identify where's the brokenness that has their name on it. For me, it's Haiti. And you'll probably hear why that is in its business. Um, we run major thrift stores and out of those thrift stores, it creates the resources that we need to pay for all of our admin overhead, all of our costs to run a nonprofit. So when people give money, 100% of it can go to the people of Haiti in our local communities. And so I'm just, I'm passionate about business. I'm passionate about helping people discover uh, their dream and charting a course to that and uh, helping the Haitians because that's really at the essence what we do. We yeah. help them start businesses. We help them identify what's the dreams in your story. I mean, Haitians, they have dreams just like we do. And how do we help them chart a path where maybe they can't see it, but we hold that dream until they can hold that dream for themselves. Such a, in some regards, an unlikely origin story. Here you are in Pella, Iowa with this global reach, doing work locally and regionally and nationally and then internationally that is affecting lives generationally. It's, it's a really cool outcome. I know you're not done growing, you're not done impacting yet, but it's remarkable what you've already accomplished. So you and I are friends. I, I, I know a little bit of your mother and I know a little bit of the encouragement she offers, not only to your dad, but to everyone she loves. And also the encouragement she offered when you were a little boy, the, the notes on the mirror, the handwritten notes, the encouragement in your ears, all these things that so frequently our mothers, our fathers, our caretakers might do for us retrospectively, we see the impact of that in our lives. You as a man today can look back and say, gosh, what a great mom. When you were a little boy in Pella, Iowa, playing basketball, trying to get the new high tops, did you recognize back then even that, that uh, gosh, your, your mom was different? She really was an awesome encourager. Yes and no. Uh, in some ways, you don't know the depth of it, but others you saw in the time that she committed to myself, my brother, my sister, and the other kids in the community. I mean, again, she's one that's poured her life out into investing into others so they could go and be what they're called to be. You don't go into schools and teach teachers and encourage teachers like she has to go affect the generation of teachers in Iowa. And that's the thing we all got to understand is we start from a story. We start from a foundation. 
my foundation was strong. My mother and father were together. My mom created an amazing foundation. So I stand on the shoulders of them. For some of those that are maybe listening to this podcast, maybe you didn't have that foundation. Maybe you didn't have the mother or father that was encouraging like we're sharing. But what I can say to you now is, if that wasn't the case, are you going to be that for your family and for your people? Because we all have a choice to make now moving forward from this. And I hear some people say, well, I never had that. And they make that becomes an excuse for why. But in the day is we all have a choice to make given the information we have now. And so I encourage anyone that's listening to this is number one is if you've had someone in your life, thank them, let them know if they don't know. And number two is if, if you didn't, how are you going to be that for somebody else? Because my mom was, was an absolute springboard for me to do what I'm doing. Much of what I do now as an adult, as a man, as a dad, as a husband is because I watched it modeled by my own father. I, I watch his faithfulness. I watch his hilarious sense of humor. I watch his joy. I watch his work ethic, but also his ability to play. My, my dad was just an awesome example. You also had that example, not only in mom, but in dad. At age eight, your dad makes a trip that begins to change the trajectory of your life. Your dad visits Haiti. What was your dad's goal when he went down to Haiti? He will say, I didn't have a clue why. I just knew I was supposed to go. There was someone from our congregation that had got involved. He asked my dad to go. My dad said yes, for whatever reason. Through that trip, that changed his life for sure. That, that put skin on a lot of things that I think he'd been struggling with. And for me, growing up, seeing the pictures of my dad with people that look very different than you and I, um, in very different settings and hearing those stories, I would say subconsciously built a reservoir inside of me. There was something, those seeds that were planted early from him doing the work that he did. Because when I went as an 18 year old, 10 years later, I contacted the organization that he had gone with and I organized the trip. His going was, was the link for me to be able to start where I started. You mentioned that in passing, this, this mission trip you planned as a teen year old, Man, when, when I was 17 and 18, I was trying to figure out how to expand my curfew from 1230 to one. You know, could, would mom and dad possibly let me go on spring break down to Florida? Please don't make me stay in St. Louis, mom and dad. Candidly and realistically, it was all about me. And in some regards, when I'm not super intentional these days, it still is. You, Tim, you're this Pella, Iowa kid. You're in your teens and you begin to plan a mission trip to Haiti. Talk about that. Like a lot of kids, faith was a big part of my journey. Church was, was ingrained in me. Um, there was at one point where my grandmother was the piano uh, director. My aunt was the choir director. My mom was a children's ministry leader and the organist. My dad was the elder. My grandpa was an elder in the church. That's what I grew up with. So it came out of that. But when I was 18, we're gonna, we were senior year uh, in high school. My youth group at that point would go to Kentucky to build homes. I'm a challenger by nature. I don't think you do work in Haiti unless you're a challenger by nature. So in my challengingness and in, in AKA stubbornness, um, I said, well, we're not going to go to Kentucky to build homes like that. That doesn't sound enough. I said, let's go to Haiti. The organization my dad went with through mutual connections. Again, I found out they were taking a trip down to Haiti with a youth group. I said, hey, there's six of my, my friends. Can we join you on our trip? And they said, sure, that would be great. Well, we would love to have you guys come along. And that was the start of my Haiti journey as a senior in high school uh, visiting this country. How did that experience 
of, of seeing Haiti, of meeting Haitians and meeting people who looked and act and dealt with challenges in a far different way than you'd experience growing up in Iowa, shape not only your teen years as you wrap them up, but the majority of your life thereafter. That first trip, it was a good trip, but it wasn't the life altering trip. It definitely woke me up. Coming out of that trip, there was two big themes that happened. Number one is probably the first time in my life I felt unconditional love of forgiveness and grace. There were some things I was fighting with personally. I had made some really poor choices in my personal life. And that was a time where I felt grace that I've never felt before and forgiveness for myself. And, and I could forgive myself and some others that I needed forgiveness from. Number two is growing up, I always wanted to be in the driver's seat of my life. And I'd always want Jesus in the back seat. Okay. So like Jesus was again, part of my faith, but I'm like, okay, Jesus, you sit in the back seat. I'm going to drive. You tell me left and right when it makes sense. Otherwise I'm going to drive my own destination. And what I heard loud and clear during that trip was Tim, if you want to live a life that is beyond what your wildest imaginations are ever to be, now it doesn't mean it's easy, but that means it's, it's not yours. I need you to go to the back seat. And I need to be the one driving. And all you do is say, I'm available. Take me wherever you want to go. And I will go left. I will go right. But I'm going to drive. For me, it was really, how do I get myself out of the driver's seat and into the passenger seat and saying, okay, I'm yours. And that's been a struggle in my life. It still is today. The real turning point, the line of the sand that I'll say for me was my sophomore year yeah. in college. Um, like a lot of, of people that go to college, I had never really spread my wings. My faith wasn't necessarily my faith. That was my parents' faith. I was a great kid growing up. I didn't drink. I didn't party. I didn't do any of that stuff. And when I got to college, I started to party and I started to party pretty hard. And there was one particular uh, night that I made some really poor choices. And I knew that wasn't the life that I was called to live. And I, and I woke up the next day in that shame and remorse that, that a lot of people know. And I said to my roommate, I just need to pray for a different path because I know this end destination isn't who I am. And that's just going to lead to destruction. And during that prayer, I heard loud and clear a voice say to me, you need to go back to Haiti. I've heard, I've heard the voice a couple of times. And I heard it loud and clear. You need to go back to Haiti. I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know how. I didn't know where. But I heard a voice. You need to go back to Haiti. And so I went and ate at the cafeteria, got my, got my breakfast. I came back. And then that morning, there was an email sent to my inbox inviting me to be a college leader on another trip to Haiti that summer. And literally within 12 hours earlier, I had prayed this prayer. And here's an email in my inbox with this invitation to go to Haiti. And, and that was a trip that I can completely say I surrendered a lot of my life. I made a covenant at the end of that trip. I was 21 years old. I wrote on a piece of paper, I will be involved in this country in some way, shape, or form for the rest of my life. And I, I prayed over it, and I burned it up to heaven. And I said, God, this is my covenant with you. I give my life to you in this way. Now, I thought it would be sponsor a child, go to a trip, you know, every once in a while, not to where we're at today. But that, that is the light in the sand for sure for me. Like everyone else, I'm just sitting back completely absorbed in, in the journey forward. So you, you burn this piece of paper, you make that offering, that commitment, and then you take the next step and then the next step and, and guide us forward. Tim, what happens next? Then things just started to unravel in a good way. The first conversation I have with it was my future to be wife. She's a going to be a freshman in college and I was a junior and the first major conversation we had was involved about Haiti. She got sucked in 
at 22, I basically said to her, like, go to Haiti, because if you're not committed like I am, then we can't get married. And she fell in love with the country just like I did. There was just so many, like, moments of, of impact where I saw the story being woven. What I love to share, which is the little known story, but 2004, we had this reverse offering. And what that means is, you know, most of you put money into the offering plate. Well, this one, our church said, we're going to put money in the offering plate. You pull the money out of the offering plate and go make the kingdom report back to us. Everyone here is $25. So my wife, myself, my mom and my dad, we, we combined our $25. We got $100 and we said, let's send out letters asking for people to match our $25 because we want to build this school in Haiti. By the grace of God, we raised $15,000 off of our $100. That's the first time I saw God show up in a way says, hey, just give me what little you have. I'm not asking for everything, but do it with all your heart. And I will take it and multiply it and, and do incredible things. Within 12 months, we were over 1.1 million. And within two years, we were over 2 million. The growth that we had in 24 months was just like incredible. I look back in that time, I took my little $25 that I had in my hand and I put it in the mailbox and I sent out the money and we got 15,000 back. I took what little that I had in my hand and I said, God, use this. And he did incredibly more than I ever imagined. That's been the reoccurring theme of all this. There's a lot of, of vignettes that we can pull from that story. And one clearly is the idea of whatever the talents you may have. Uh, you are called to multiply them, whether it's $25 and you're barely hanging on. It's okay. Now you got to, you got to multiply this. Secondly, sometimes you got to let go to receive. And then what, what I heard so clearly actually from your story is you need people to be in this story with you. Like you, you could not have done this by yourself. You could not have done it only in your community. You also needed an incredible partner and spouse to say yes with you. And so as I'm thinking about you leaving behind that high 60s job and that status and that 3,000 square foot home and everything else that became yours, you owned this, this was, this was your life. In order for you to step away from it, you also needed a wife to step away from it with you. So I'm, I'm just curious. It's, it's one thing, Tim, when you're living this all by yourself, but you're living this now with a four-year-old and a two-year-old and a, a bride who's got to be in step with you. What was, it, what was it like for you to have these conversations with her? And what was it like ultimately for her to say yes to it? I knew my conviction of what I needed to do. I told her that and she immediately just started bawling because this was her like dream house. Um, this was a place that we had worked to get to, but she also said, I knew this question was coming before you ever said it. And this is the right thing to do. Yes, uh, I'm on board. I will follow you. I know what God is doing in you and I will follow you, um, which again, 100% agree. You can't do this without other people around you. No one does anything like this in a vacuum. The idea of being self-made is a complete farce. Right. Uh, there is a village of people uh, that you either know or that you stand upon the shoulders of those that paved the way in front of you to do what you do. Um, and for me, it was no different. I live in a community that, that is incredibly generous. Um, and there's been wealth here from businesses and business owners that are then in turn generous. We have a global community out of this little place that cares about the global world. People that came before me out of this community and went to Haiti that then allowed me to go. Pella adopted Pion, the place that we work as a sister city in 1989. I mean, I was 10, but yet that happened in my story. So again, none of this happens in a vacuum. 
and I'm a planner. I'm a strategic planner. Like that's what I do. Like I take things far off and I make them tangible now. But all I heard from God is just be available. So I completely went against the grain. Everything that makes sense to start a business. I like wrote a check for 10,000. I was like, we're not going to put together a strategic plan. All I'm going to do is be available. I started having conversations and the conversations that I used to have maybe once or twice a year, I started to have once or twice a day. And it just started to multiply and it started to roll. And that's where then God started to work in incredible ways. But that wasn't just, oh, it's all rainbows and butterflies from there. We didn't have the foundational structure in place because in 2014, we lost it all and we had to start over again. We could talk about 14. We could talk about 2018. We could talk about some of the individual adversity that you faced, not only in Pella, Iowa, but certainly faced in, in Haiti as well. Some of the pain that you've weathered, some of the scars that you bear. I'm curious though, when when you hear numbers like $10,000 or, Hey, now it's $2 million top line. Let's talk about individual impact from that. Because I I think frequently what the media does a phenomenal job of is they paint a picture of the mass chaos and it's not humanized at all. It's just, Oh, it's over there. It's Haiti. It's an earthquake. It's Afghanistan. It's racism. It's poverty. It's, it's there. It's, you know, you can't really touch it. So help us really humanize what's taking place through many hands in Haiti. We believe in the power of relationship and the power of presence to be present in someone's life. Half of being in great relationships is that you make a determination that we're going to be present together. And so what right now, what we do is in these communities, we try to be present in the life of someone from when the child is in the womb So mother that's got a child in the womb up through first grade, where at first grade, they can completely pay for the education of their child on their own. They have the power to make the best decisions for their children, not dependent on some American or some Westerner to pay for school. They can do that. Um, We put a cement floor in their home so they have safety in their home. We introduce them to uh, Jesus. We talk about it, spiritual development classes, ways they can enter into that if they want. We will help them get married if they want. So if they want to make a commitment to their spouse, we will help them along that path of how to be married. We will give them health education so they understand how to raise their children well and what it means to raise their children well. So preventative type of of education as well as preventative measures. Uh, We provide food and resources for them. So when they're starting out and then we give them um, by the time that everyone graduates, they will have around $540 U.S in an education savings fund that they get through a goat herd that they manage. And then we buy back the goats from them, put the money into an education savings fund. And then we use that food to feed our children because we're feeding thousands of kids, but we're doing it with food grown locally in Haiti, um, which is great. And so then they've got a goat herd that they can manage. They've got a community garden they're a part of to create income. And so, and their child is then in an edu- early education classes or preschool classes and then into school. And so when they hit that first grade, they, they can stand and say, I have the dignity and the power to make the best choices for my family because now I've got a safe home to live in. I've got a money to be able to pay for my own child's education. I, I can be married to my spouse. I am part of my community and I can, I can raise some economic income for my own necessities to take care of. And all those things to do that in the life of, of a family. I mean, we're talking less than $500 per person per year to do that. It's not like this massive investment. I can tell you a story about Jerry. So Jerry, I met Jerry when he was one years old. Grandma takes care of them uh, because mother wasn't around. 
Um, she had a child and she left. Father's non-existent. Jerry's this old uh, grandma that basically lives near our campus, but she was going to do everything possible to get Jerry there. And so Louisa's her name. So she started taking to Jerry to our programs. And so, again, we believe every child deserves to be fed before the age of two. So anyone's welcome to come to our, our feeding centers um, if they're within a geographical zone. We don't want them walking hours and hours and hours, but if they're in this geographical zone, we will feed them. And so Louisa started to come and Louisa started to stay afterwards and she started to clean up the place. She started to wipe down the table. She did everything she could to make sure that Jerry was taken care of. And so Jerry came to us. He was, uh, he was malnourished. He was lethargic. He had red hair. Um, he was behind developmentally. By the time he was three years old, Jerry was above the malnutrition line. He had a full head of hair. His eyes were lit up. He was strong. He was ready to go. He entered into preschool. He has gone every year now um, into preschool. He will be going into first grade this next year. Louisa got a job with us. She cleans up the, she literally, when I will show up on campus, she will run over to me. She says, she'll go, she'll go, Mr. Tim, she goes, Mr. Tim, I've cleaned the toilets today so the kids have a clean place to go to the bathroom. I am so happy. God is so good. That's what she says every time. Then she gives me a big kiss on the cheek every time I see her. And so she's got a job. Her house has been rebuilt. She went from a, a shabby old rickety house that was literally falling over with holes in it and a bed that had bed bugs and dirt. And, and now she's got a whole new brand beautiful home. We built over 105 homes in Haiti. Um, she's one of them that we built it for. Um, and she's paying for her own child's education. And Jerry is great. He's doing fantastic. He's a, he is thriving right now. And grandma is able to take care of the child instead of putting that child in an orphanage. Because the best way to raise a child is to put them with their family, not in some orphanage. Um, that's the best way to do it. You and I were talking before we hit record about Christopher Columbus landing on the shores of Haiti. We were talking about the slave trade making its way through at profound levels through the shores and through the bays within Haiti. We're talking about the poverty that has been going on generationally now for centuries. And now you're talking about one little child, not now, not no longer in preschool, but in first grade with a full dark head of hair now, and he's no longer malnutritioned and he's learning and growing and expanding. What gives you any semblance of hope that this individual impact in a Northern town can actually make a difference? Because you know, one of the headlines I wrote, read recently was, we are a cursed people. And it was a woman from Haiti talking about the assassin, assassination, talking about the recent storm, talking about the recent earthquake, and talking about all of the history that has led up to this point. And she looked at the person interviewing her and said, we are just a cursed people. Why do you believe that many hands and the work that you're part of, Tim, can make a difference? I listen to the stories of our people. Uh, and I hear, I hear the cries of what they're saying. But I've also heard beyond those initial cries of what they truly desire, but they don't necessarily know the path to get there. And so we have our love and action roadmap. And that means that we stay in a relationship with them. And this dream that they will sometimes won't express because it's even too painful to say it out loud, we will hold that dream for them. But our goal is, is that at some point we hand that dream off to them, that they have the strength and the power to hold it for themselves. And we do that collectively. 
meaning this isn't just one child. Again, I gave you this one example, but here's the thing. That child, we geographically zone our areas to be about a one mile radius. So then that one mile radius, we're walking with in that particular community, about 150 to 200 families all on the same journey. We're blanketing the whole area. So now the whole community conversation is changing. The identity of the community is changing. The way they view themselves is changing. And that group of people are on a different path heading to a different destination. Hmm. We in turn work within a five kilometer radius of that particular zone. And now we are multiplying that into other zones. Right now we work with around 500 families and we're talking, we walk with them five, six days a week in a holistic way, not just feeding a child. It's parents, it's child. It's the whole community that we're talking about here. And so we've started the second community in 2019. We're starting to see that conversation change. That doesn't mean it's, it's, it's completely, oh, everything's always great. No, you're talking rebuilding identity, rebuilding the inner voice that you tell yourself, uh, the voice of the community. And so, but you stand there and you hold that, you hold firm to that until they will in turn grasp it for themselves. We're opening another community in 2022, uh, in January 20, 2002. And then we will be opening a community every year for the next five years to be able to do this in a holistic way for over 5% of the population in this 30,000 population area. There's a fallacy that exists, is that in order to create change, you've got to have the majority of people on board. Not true. You need to have somewhere around 3% of the people that are completely bought in if you want to see societal change. Think about what's happened in our society and think about the number of people it took that were like, we're talking, they are, they are all out, all in, living life to, to get the outcome they desire. That's what creates change. You don't need mass numbers, but you need a committed people of about 3% of the population. If we can get 3% of the population to really buy into this, and it's like ping pong balls, and they will start to be the people that tell their own stories to each other. They're the ones that go back home. And when their neighbor has a problem, they're going to say, you know what? Like, here's what I was learning at so-and-so and so-and-so, because that's more powerful than anybody coming in and saying, hey, come learn from us. It's the neighborhood conversations. It's the ping pong that happens. And if you got a whole bunch of ping pong lined up together and you start hitting one and you start seeing them start hitting each other, that's when change starts to happen. And so what we believe is there's a huge elephant in front of us, like massive elephant. I don't know how to eat the whole elephant. What I can do is I can take one bite of the elephant today and I can take one more bite of the elephant tomorrow. And then I can invite others to start taking their bites of the elephant. And then pretty soon this elephant, which was huge and massive, will start to be less and less and gone. And I can't promise you what the outcomes of Haiti will be long-term. I don't know. What I do know is the obedience to say, here's what I know from my experience and my story to do something now that I can see the change happening right in front of my eyes. Uh, there's no doubt tangibly, the families we're walking with are different today than they were yesterday. And it's not from a paternalistic, oh, well, look what we did. It's because of what they are now holding on to within their own stories. And we are the ones just to remind them and to breathe back into them. Because just like I had my wife stand behind me when God breathed this dream into me and she stood there and be like, 
it hurts me to say this, but yes, I will follow you. Or my mom who came around me and said, Tim, here's, here's what I speak over you in truth. We in turn now do the same thing for our Haitian brothers and sisters. The, the, the we you're referencing, you have a, a staff of 80 in Haiti, 35 additional staff members now in the United States, all, all serving to eat this elephant, to make a profound societal difference one life at a time and do so from the inside out. It's a completely unique approach to what has been wrong and is right about Haiti and how it's going to become far better going forward. Tim, for our listeners, we have listeners in 50 states, 75 different nations tuning in week after week into the Live Inspired podcast. Give us some ways, maybe alongside of you or even beyond the work that you're doing that we can help make a difference in Haiti. So obviously right now, earthquake is, is on everyone's mind and it's a real situation. We're in the Northern part of Haiti. We felt the earthquake, but we were not directly affected by the grace of God. Uh, in the Southern part in Lakai, Jeremy area, which is a, is a very populated area, um, it is devastating. And the numbers are mind boggling. We're talking 650,000 people of, in need of urgent humanitarian assistance, 130,000 homes destroyed, 28 out of the 42 hospitals either badly damaged or damaged beyond repair that they're not really operating anymore. And you've got people that are pretty desperate. I've got a phone calls, you know, yesterday, the day before people that haven't eaten for nine days, people that haven't been able to get medical attention where they're getting infections and wounds and everything else. And so it is overwhelming when you hear those sort of numbers and what can we do, but here's what I can say. Our organization, again, being on the front lines and being grassroots, uh, because of the years of work that we've done, we've got connections into places. And within a matter of two, well, 72 hours, we have 50,000 pounds of food on the ground in the hands of 500 pastors getting it to 20 different zones. Um, we're going to be releasing just this week another 50,000 pounds. So we'll have over 100,000 pounds released in the last two weeks directly into the hands of pastors and people that we trust that can navigate the waters in their own communities and again, these are outside aid workers coming in from the United States. These are Haitians buying from Haiti resources that are already available in places that weren't affected by the earthquake, getting in the hands of Haitians living in Haiti that are serving their communities. So again, the amount of relationship that's happening is, is great and vast. And I can tell you the dollars that are given to us, we already run our own businesses, our own thrift stores to cover our admin and overhead. I don't need these dollars to pay my salary. I'm not getting a dime from this as far as to my salary. All of this is going to go directly to the people in Haiti. And we have the accountability measures in place to trust the people that are doing this so that we can actually get the outcomes for people in need. And we're focusing on food because that's something we believe we can source in Haiti and provide for the people in Haiti. So number one, right out of the chute, like that's a way that people can get involved right away. There's a link on our website, which I'm sure you'll probably give them um, if people want to get involved in that way. Second thing is our model is now tested over the last six years. We're seeing the outcomes of what's happening and it's really, really good. We want to multiply this. We've been given this to steward and we want to multiply this. And so we have a strategic plan to generously grow impact in Haiti. So by 2016, prove what we've thought. Because um, again, too many people jump off or like they get a little success and like, oh, look at this works for everybody. Let's all go do it. No, let's actually prove this. Let's get real data. Let's get real time feedback and be able to look at this holistically and come back to it. 10 years of running this. And once we hit that 10 years, what we believe 
is this is going to go international. This isn't only for Haiti, but we're stewarding the vision now because Haiti is one of the hardest places in the world to work. And if we can do it in Haiti, we can do it anywhere. The, the question that my son asked in watching the headlines was, what can we do? What can we do? Whether it's regarding Afghanistan or Haiti or challenges that take place around the United States or in our own backyards. In answering that question, I got together with some of my friends from Keeley Companies and what we've decided to do to assist you in taking the next step and then the next step and then the next step is to contribute $10,000 to the work that you are oh, doing through wow. many hands. So I wanted to announce that sometimes it's good to give quietly so no one knows that you're doing it. Other times, I think it's wise when the world is looking at challenges and tragedies saying, gosh, I wish there was something somebody would do to recognize that there is. And there are people making a difference. And we want you to step alongside of us and make that difference with us. So we here at Live Inspired wow. with our friends at Keeley Companies will be contributing $10,000 to the work that you do. And we don't do this to say, wow, great job, guys. We do it as a model. I don't know if everybody can give 10,000. I think everybody can give something. And I just encourage our listeners right now to be generous as they can, to, to, to seek to make that difference that they know so desperately needs to be operationalized on the ground floor. So Tim, I, I hope today that that helps in a mighty way make a difference for you and for our brothers and sisters in Haiti right now. And for those who are looking for that link, because they want to make a, a difference at one level or another. What, what's the best website we can visit? So our website is www.m as in many, h as in Haiti, the number four, h.org. So www.mh4h.org. If you want to get specifically to the earthquake, there is a right on our, our, when you log on, you'll see all of our information about earthquake and the relief that we're doing there. If you want to partner with us uh, in long-term development, because um, we're in general, we're not a relief organization. That's not where our bread and butter is. But we also know when there's things like this, we, we have the influence and affluence to be able to step in and help in a real way. Um, so we're going to do that. And out of generosity, we're going to say whatever funds come in, we're going to give them to where they need to get to. But long term, that's where we really, really shine. And so we want to do that in community and relationship. And so if anyone wants to partner with us in that way, you can jump on there. There's a ton of, ton of information about our Love and Action Initiative, our roadmaps that we have. I'd be more than willing to talk with anybody, uh, but that's where the best information is, is on our website. So Tim, you've been a friend of mine for a while and I've been a friend of yours for a while too. You've heard a couple podcasts. You know that eventually it's going to end up with the Live Inspired 7. So we are about to move into that together. But the final question before we do, for those right now listening as they pick up carpool or prepare dinner, take a walk around the block or get a workout in the morning or whatever they might be doing while they tune into the Live Inspired podcast and they're thinking, man, I, I, I just wish there was something that I could do in any area of life, maybe with many hands, the great work that you're doing, maybe in Haiti, the need is so great. But in any area of life, I just wish there was something that I could do. What, what encouragement might you offer to them? So for anyone listening to you, you have a story. And out of your story is your unique purpose. And your unique purpose is as unique as your thumbprint. And there is no doubt in my mind that you were made on purpose for a purpose. And part of our journey in life is for us to look backwards at what's been placed in our life that's unique to us, for us to look what excites us, what stirs us, what keeps us up at night as we look towards the future, and how do we connect the two together to be able to say, this is where I'm uniquely called. 
And sometimes what it takes is for us just to take the next step. Again, we have to develop our faith legs. Um, I don't jump in 2011 to do what I did if I don't see what happened in 2000, uh, 2000, 2002, 2004, 2007, 2008. Like those were all little steps that I took that allowed me to take the big step when it came to me. And to me, at that point, it wasn't this massive, huge step. Now people look at it back and they're like, oh my gosh, how did you hit that point? Well, there's just all those little things. And so for us that are sitting here like, man, I just, I want, I just, I wish I knew what that was. It takes self-discernment reflection, but look back in your past, what's uniquely yours, look to your future, what uniquely stirs you, connect to the now, who's the unique people that's been around you, and what's the thing tangibly I can commit to today to do something to get that ball moving, because as the ball's moving, there'll be more that will come your direction, but you got to get going now on something, and that something is something unique to you, so don't shy away from that unique thumbprint that's been your purpose. You're listening to the story and the encouragement from Tim Brand. He's the founder and the executive director of Many Hands. So, Tim, as we get ready to launch people forward to take that next step in their journey, the first of the Live Inspired Seven questions for you is, what is the most influential or, or impactful book you've ever read or maybe recently read? The most impactful book for me outside of the Bible was Team of Rivals, and it's about Abraham Lincoln. And how he navigated the Civil War and how he drew in actually his, his enemies to be able to come to bring healing to the nation. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, he was an incredible leader. And what he navigated during an incredibly difficult time that could have taken us in so many different directions as a country, uh, he just inspires me to read how he navigated those times. Great book. It ought to be mandatory reading for our dear political friends who are all completely trying to do things from the left or the right. And the Correct. other side is completely wrong. And Lincoln showed a very different path forward that proved to be the right path. What's one positive characteristic or one trait that you possessed as a little kid growing up in Pella, Iowa, that you wish you exhibited as brilliantly today? I was and still continue to be uh, as a dreamer. Um, and obviously I, I dream and I have this wild imagination, but I've also put it on a shelf way too many times where I'm like, that's not possible. Whereas a little kid, I had imaginary games that I was playing all the time. Awesome. Although I would say you've, you've got a, a wonderful vision, man, and you're still dreaming big. So keep, keep going. If your home caught fire and your family's out, your wife is out, the animals are all out and you have an opportunity to run in and grab one item. What's the one thing you would come racing back outside with? My Bible, because Without that, it just has history and notes and things that I keep, and I don't want to lose that. If you could sit on a bench, whether it's in Haiti or in Iowa or anywhere in between, and have a long conversation with anybody, living or dead, who do you want to be seated next to in that conversation? I would love to, to sit with Apostle Paul because I see what he did and, and the, the fortitude, the stubbornness this, for these people that he didn't know. I mean, again, it's one thing to love people that you know, but it's a whole other thing to love the people that you don't know and to go into these places. Ironic you brought him up and knowing your story, I think it was back in 2018 when you went through your own experience. I, I actually thought of Paul for what you, I, I've kind of viewed you as a modern day Paul and on what you've weathered and what you may have to weather going forward. And I, I just yep. look up to you and of course to Paul. What's the best advice that you've ever received? Never burn a relationship. You just never know when that's going to come back around. So whenever you exit 
a, a job, whenever you exit something, always end it well. What would you tell your 20-year-old self? Number one, you don't have to always go out and experience something to learn. My, my motto when I was 20 was, well, I'll try everything once. And number two is to forgive yourself. You don't have it all figured out and you're going to screw up and you're going to make mistakes. But at the end of the day, it's, to it's the trajectory of your life, not this one defining moment. Be more aware of the trajectory of your decisions. The trajectory of your life matters way more than, than those one instances. Tim Moran, it has been said that all great people at apostles, at leaders, at servants, and executive directors, and strategic visionaries, and parents, and sons and daughters, can have their lives summed up in one sentence. How would you like your one sentence to read? Fully surrendered to dream God dreams to serve the world. Fully surrendered to dream God dreams to serve the world. Tim, you've been living this, my friend. I want to thank you again for not only being boots on the ground um, at a time where they are needed, but being a heart for the rest of us to say, you know what, we can do likewise. Highly inspirational, highly effective, imp impactful, and generationally important, my friend. So I, I thank you for the work you've done and the work you're going to be doing going forward. Thank you, John. I appreciate it. My friends, that is Tim Brand. He is executive director and founder of Many Hands. You can learn more about Many Hands and their work that they're doing at mh4h.org. We can easily cruise into the next podcast right now. We can easily cruise into the next workout session, carpool line, whatever it might be, or we can visit there right now. We can learn more about the work and we can realize that uh, little things aren't. The little thing you may do right now, the contribution you may make right now might make a mighty difference, not only in your life, but in the life of someone else that might de desperately need it. So I, I encourage you one more time, visit with me right now, mh4h.org. Be generous and watch what we can achieve and accomplish and transform together. So for this time and until next time, my name is John O'Leary and today is your day. Live inspired. A word from our friends at Keeley Companies. What started in 1976 as a local paving company has grown into a national provider of construction, infrastructure, wireless technology, development, and logistic solutions. Over four decades and 1,800 Keelians later, Keeley Companies' roots still guide them. In the words of their founder, Larry Keeley, quality and service never go out of style. 